this episode is going to be pretty pretty fun, and I know, I, I can tell you right now, I could do probably five versions of this podcast episode, because one, I'm a hack of a guitar player, but it's something that uh, is certainly near and dear to me, and I'm bringing on a guy who is well-versed, I feel, in many areas of music, but I reached out to him a few months before we started recording these podcasts, and I said, okay, let's let's hit a topic here. What do you want to do? And Jay Busby, multifaceted writer for Yahoo Sports, said, let's do Guitar Gods. Give me that one. So he's going to chat with me in all sorts of areas, re-all things Guitar Gods, solos, all that stuff. So Jay, thanks for coming on, man. How are you? I'm doing well. We can we can run for for three hours, man. This can be our triple album. You know, it really might be. And you know what's what's intriguing to me is that you know I did a little first when we 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 talked about you know I, I threw out a few categories. I, I tossed you an email. I was like, all right, bada bing, bada bang, bada boom. Let's let's hit these kind of things. And I tried to list off things off the top of my head. Then I went through a little my iTunes discography. Um, Got some more nominees, some some guitarists, and then I did a little bit of online research, and I came across a couple of um, videos of or or stories of you know musicians and give us your fa- favorite guitar solos and whatnot. And what's actually interesting is for the for a, a decent amount of musicians, uh, the guitar solo is not really a uh, desired piece of music the way it once was 20 30 40 years ago yeah absolutely it's it's really not um but to me i've always i've held it close to my heart there's certainly i mean you you can really go down some uh just masturbatory kind of things here with the way that some styles especially in the 80s the way it evolved but dude i'm all i'm all about the guitar gods personally i'm with you yeah i think that like so much else, we can blame it on Nirvana and the rise of grunge. That's that's right about the time that uh, the guitar solo died out as a means of just standing up there and, and you're wanking self-expression. I remember I was at a job one time. I was bagging groceries and we're in the back room and we're stocking and uh, we're playing some old Van Halen. Like it was like a Van Halen live album. And it was one of those bits where Eddie gets up and does his you know seven-minute guitar solo where he runs through Spanish Fly and Eruption and all of that stuff. And it's just nothing but his up there and and me and a few other guys were digging on this and this kid who was younger than us and, and you would call him emo now but he, w- he wasn't emo back then it wasn't a word and he's like man what a selfish bastard and we were like you gotta be kidding me man what this is the greatest but that was the sign of the generational shift man away from the guitar solo yeah it it, it was and before we get into the greats and maybe the lack of greats these days and a couple of guys who actually I think uh, really should be getting more due in the past 10 or 15 years I, I think part of it's grunge um, but I think there are a lot of factors here yeah the, and, one I, I think the guitar just basically from Chuck Berry see to me Chuck Berry is probably should be considered among the top 20 guitarists of all time simply for what he brought to the table, how he kind of changed uh, what rock and roll could be into the late 50s and early 60s. But from that, when you went into the 60s and into the 70s and then in the 80s, those three decades, in my opinion, saw the guitar as a means of expression go through major transformations uh, and evolution. But by the time we got to the early 90s, for, for the most part, we had hit on... You know, music is is so, sort of never ending uh, to a certain degree, but we had hit on so many different styles that it was hard to 
reinvent or or put forth new ways of showing guitar solos specifically right. as means of expression. So that is why I think to a to a large degree and this is really in in terms of mainstream accessible music because you can certainly go out and hit up a a fairly decent music club in your town on a Friday or Saturday night and chances are there's going to be a guy who can really really play. That's the other oh, yeah. thing. I mean there are amazing guitar players are all over this country, but the the well had kind of caught dry in terms of, you know, presenting original stuff or, or new ideas. And that's why I think over the past 25 years, basically, we've we've lost that element in terms of mainstream popular rock music. Yeah, I think that once it, it ascends to a level, once the guitar ascended to a level where you had these guys practicing it like Ingve Malmsteen and Tony right. McAlpine and they're throwing out stuff. That's that's when I learned to play guitar. I mean, I'm you know, I'm an old man, I'm older than you. And I learned to play guitar right as these guys were hitting their ascendancy. So I'm thinking, how in the hell am I supposed to keep up with that? I mean, I would have loved it if I had been able to, to learn in the age of uh, Green Day and Nirvana where it's just power chords and just chunking it out. But but I was trying to I was learning to play in a time when these guys were held up as as the ultimate and at that point when you kind of lose touch with the ability to to just pick up a guitar and play at that level yeah i think you're right that's that's when it kind of sails off past the abilities of the common player and it and it sails out of the audience's ability i mean joe satriani amazing guy but he's never going to get popular awareness unless he slides in with with a with a band of some sort like Chickenfoot or whatever yeah, exactly and it got to a point in the 80s basically between metal and hair bands and I think what people might not realize is a lot of the hairband guitarists, they were, in certain ways, they were really talented, but in other ways, they were so tunnel vision in the way that, I mean, it basically got to how fast can you play your solos in right. what kind of way. And it, you know, they, they pushed it so far that actually it's why I think um, the solo from Smells Like Teen Spirit is probably considered among the, I don't know, 20 or 30 most memorable guitar solos on a studio cut. And it's so basic right and what you were saying with the grunge thing because when nirvana kind of broke through and that and that song and the video music video and all it did and all that stuff but uh, to a certain degree it was just you know cobain was a, a rudimentary guitar player in, in a huge way and that is what helped or maybe not helps not even the right right term but it, it certainly you know nirvana is seen as the band if not nirvana certainly the scene of grunge and alternative rock in the early 90s is what killed off the hair bands and it's seen as a good thing and i would i would generally agree with that because when it comes to a lot of that stuff a lot of that uh play as fast as you can a million notes uh in a thousand seconds kind of deal um that had you know well hit past its saturation point yeah and and just the the whole whipped cream and icing that had built up on on heavy metal music by that point. When, when, when you get to the hair bands, and I guess you should put in hairspray there, <laughs> that it had just been piled up on top of it, and you had the same dudes with the same sort of video, you know, they're in the, as, as Patton Oswalt says, uh, the factory that manufactures nothing but sparks, and you've got the women chained up, and you got the dudes playing the guitar solos, and, and it's just the same stuff over and over. They had the same routine where they had, they released their one strong cut that was the number one song on the album, then the second song that they released was the sensitive acoustic one, where right. they played, you know, nothing but uh, gentle G chords and so forth. And, and it was the same routine over and over. And what Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, we know all those bands, what they did was they, they even though they, they may not have been any more authentic, they may have been just, they were presenting an image all their own, it sure seemed like they were more authentic. And that's what a lot of people resonated with. I agree. Okay, so let's run through 
just a gamut of things here. I've got notes in front of me. I, I and I, I'll say that I'm gonna forget. I'm not gonna have a few guys that maybe, you know, two days after recording this, I'm gonna be like, why didn't I remember to include that? Oh no, that, kidding. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna happen. Um, but okay, so I, I guess an easy segue is this: in terms of you know that thrashing style from the '80s, um, and how it. Was it alive in certain aspects as we went into the 90s? For me, I'm not huge on the thrashing. I'm not. Um, but I would say two guys that I think continued the spirit of that in a healthy way that I would that I would put among, I don't know, if I created like a top 30, which I don't have in front of me. I would say uh, Dimebag Daryl, who unfortunately, you know, he, he, he was killed on stage. He was actually right. shot, which is insane uh died very young um and i do think death to a certain degree has enhanced his legacy which can happen in music so often but he was legitimately good uh and then marty friedman of megadeth yeah who uh so this i so i was looking at like thrash guitarists who who would they be and i'm by no means a huge megadeth fan but he he is undeniably talented so here's the crazy thing about friedman he he just up and moved to Japan like 14 years ago, and he's lived there, and he runs like a, his own TV show and stuff there. But he learned he he was self-taught on guitar. He learned to play guitar because he went to a Kiss show. So Megadeth, which in its genre is really one of the the giants, might have never really been Megadeth as we know them, had Marty Friedman not gone to a Kiss show when he was 14 years old. <laughs> I love those stories. And first of all. Marty Friedman. Is that not the worst name ever for a great That's got to be the biggest. No doubt. You've got Dimebag Daryl, and then you've got Marty Friedman. Sounds like he very much ought to be on the accounting side of things rather than the uh, the, the guitar side. But yeah, he was, I had, it's funny, you, you asked me who the best thrasher was, and I put Dimebag Daryl, and I put Dave Mustaine, you know, right there, from, also from Megadeth. But Marty Friedman was obviously the more, the lead guy. And yeah, it's funny. I love hearing those stories about guys that, 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 hear someone that they meet someone you know tom petty met elvis and that's what when elvis was filming a movie in florida in the in the late 60s early 70s something like that and that's what made tom petty go into rock and roll i so did not I, know that i love those kinds of stories you got to shake elvis's hand his uncle worked on the crew or something like that and that's what that's what transformed it so i love hearing those kinds of stories that's crazy uh dimebag daryl if listeners aren't totally familiar he played with pantera which Listen, some of these bands are not just, they're not friendly or, you know, they're not ear friendly for a large section of an audience. But if you can kind of dip into it, you'll, you'll see like he's, he's really got truly undeniable, uh, talent and, and to a certain degree, by the way, um, heavy metal and there are 50 subgenres when I say the term heavy, heavy metal, I mean, it's gone so deep. There's actually... There's an amazing graphic out there, Jay. I don't know if you've seen it, but I think it's called the map of heavy metal or right. the world that like, and it's made up like a Game of Thrones style kind of map, and it basically shows you the different. I mean, these subgenres are so insane, uh, but within the greater world of of heavy metal, uh, there is there is a ton of musicianship because it's based it's based in classical. In terms of the scales and the approach, a lot of it's speed, 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 especially with the drumming. I mean, to be a drummer in a heavy metal band uh, of any kind is is insane. Uh, but a lot of that goes with the guitar playing as well. But there is there is more of a, of a technique and respect approach to the music with a lot of metal than what we saw with the hair band. So um, while they're kind of loosely related, um, there is a, there is a difference there. Um, yeah, and their fans are just absolutely militant. So without you a I've, doubt. 
you and I have probably already offended, you know, this is the kind of thing that'll end up in a, in a, on a Reddit thread somewhere where you and I have already offended uh, hundreds of fans about oh, yeah. the arcane differences between, you know, Slayer and Pantera. Exactly. And there are, you know, I'm sure there are, you know, a dozen of bands uh, in that world that are just really talented that have hardcore underground devoted fan bases. I have no idea they exist, so I apologize on the top of it. In terms of metal guitarists... I would say I, I only picked two here. I mean, there are really so many. Um, John Petrucci from Dream Theater sure. is is one. He's the one. Okay, so Dream Theater. A lot of people listening might not have even heard of Dream Theater, but Dream Theater basically, and I might botch this story, but so most of their um, members, if not all of them, they met at the Berkeley School of Music, okay, which is the most prestigious uh, academy to learn music in the country, and. I think at Berkeley, or at least at some time, I think they've got two uh, greater collections of music. It's like the, the the entire collection of music of Bach and the entire collection of music of Dream Theater. Like it's so insane because their 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 ability as a band is kind of uh, it's ridiculous. Actually, I, when I played in a band with a buddy, our my, our drummer was just absolutely obsessed with them and that's kind of how I got to know him. It's not really my style but Petrucci is undeniably uh, just an unbelievable unbelievable um, metal guitarist. My other one would be Randy Rhodes who's considered pretty much universally to be a top 40 all-time guitarist. Played with Ozzy Osbourne and Quiet Riot. Uh, actually I kind of enjoy his approach. I think a lot of people listening, if they don't even know who Randy Rhodes is, if I played you some Randy Rhodes, you'd be like, oh yeah, I, I know who that is. So those were those are the two metal guitarists that I would that I would include there. Neither would make my top fifteen or so, but they're undeniably greats. Yeah, I, I I had Randy Rhodes as well and he was he was the great what if of rock music. I mean it's everybody needs a rival, you know, Tiger Woods needs his Phil Mickelson, Michael Jordan needed somebody to be his rival and, and he could have been Eddie Van Halen's rival. You know, they they could have been I would have loved to see. Obviously, he died young, died in a in a plane crash, right. and um, I would have loved to see what would have come of him because he was on that path. the The fact that a guitarist is able to play fast and is able to play classical music it, it's so archaic now. But but back in the eighties, people were the guitarists and the guitar community was obsessed with this ability to learn all of these, you know minor pentatonic scales and to be able to run up and down those. And, and if you had, had learned Paganini and the, the famous violinist who allegedly made a deal with the devil, if you knew, if you knew Paganini, you were, you were absolutely in, you were, you were legit on an artistic scale, but just being able to play fast enough, that, that wasn't, that was enough to get you in the door, but it wasn't enough to get people to pay attention to you and the ability to slow back down. That's what guys like Randy Rhodes had. He was able to to take all that knowledge and then step back and make it more, more accessible to people. And a lot of guys were not able to do that. We're not, they, they just had the speed. They didn't have the, the soul, the tone to it. But yeah, Randy Rhodes was a tremendous loss. Blues players. Now this is, uh, this is a list that could go really deep. Um, here's some, all right. So my favorite guitarist of all time is Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yes. He is. He's my favorite. Uh, the two guitarists, like okay, so Rhodes dies early. That's a huge loss. He would probably among like guitarists that were just gone too soon. Rhodes would be in there. Obviously Hendrix. I, to me, it's Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan that I feel were the greatest robberies in terms of what they could have still like. I just I wonder what a parallel world, a parallel universe is like, where Hendrix 
you know, makes it into the mid-80s and what he becomes, and Stevie Ray Vaughan lives through the 90s, what he becomes, because, you know, he had, Stevie Ray Vaughan had, had gotten sober. Um, he was certainly, in my opinion, heading toward an even more introspective uh, path the way he was going, died in a helicopter accident, um, a huge loss. But in terms of blues playing, uh, to me, no one has ever sounded as widening on a guitar as Stevie Ray. He would be... I don't see how you pick anyone better than him, personally. I understand that other guys came before him, uh, and and certain guys are kind of insane. Like, another guy I've listed, uh, Joe uh, Bonamassa, who's mm-hmm. kind of a young guy, who's got a growing, tremendously dedicated fan base. He kind of looks like a... Um, I don't know if you've seen videos of him play, Jay, but he looks like Agent Smith from The Matrix with his his hair is slicked <laughs> right, back. Like, right. uh, people listening, Google Joe Bonamassa and look at his videos, and you'll you'll think it's the guy from The Matrix. Hello, Mr. Anderson. But um, like, he's a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous blues player, and is doing things on the guitar that, quite frankly, Stevie Ray did not even approach or get a chance to do. But to me, I think it starts and ends in terms of great blues players with Stevie Ray. What do you think? Absolutely. I, I love Stevie Ray. You know, today as we're talking, it's the, the 25th anniversary of his uh, of, of his passing, as a matter of fact. Is it um, really? It is, yeah. Just just uh, sheer coincidence. Whoa. I saw that. Yep. Saw that on Twitter this morning. I, I remember, this is a, a sad little story, but I remember when it happened, and I went into a mall record store. A, yes, I went into a mall, and B, they had a record store there, and they had a big uh, uh, cutout of Steve Vai, the, the famous uh, shredded guitarist that played with David Lee Roth and a few other people. And he had just released an album, so they had cut out his album. And someone had gone and written with a little cartoon comic book speech bubble, no, it was not me that died, because apparently oh people were mistaking it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Stevie Ray, just just ungodly. I mean, so good. I, I, I fear that he would be, at this point, something like, uh, you know, like Slash has become kind of a gun for hire, that kind of thing. But you're right, he was, he was artistically turning much deeper and much more inward. Without a doubt. Um, how about that? So this podcast, when it goes live and whenever you're listening, it could, you could be listening a year or two after it's even been up. But we are, yeah, we are recording this podcast on August 27, 2015. And it is, wow, it is 25 years that to insane. the day. I had no idea, and it's oddly fitting. Um, I could go down, I, sometimes I do. I'd say once a year I, I lose two hours going down a YouTube rabbit hole of just watching SRV videos, um, it, it just, uh, it just he had. See, the thing is, like, he was so good, and he was he was a little flashy, but he had tremendous charisma, and he also listen. I remember the first time I heard him. I must have been 13 or 14 years old on the radio, and I had heard, you know, just a few of his songs. You know, just the typical, the typical radio hits, um, Crossfire, Pride and Joy, whatever. And then I remember being maybe. 18 years old and getting a Stevie Ray Vaughan record and seeing that he was white. Like, I thought he was black. For, for <laughs> that's, a good, that's understandable. With the way that he played, the way that he sounded, um, it kind of blew my mind. But he, if you were to watch some of his videos, he's undeniably uh, just had great curse. It's, it's more just, you know, beyond guitar behind the back and doing that kind of stuff. Uh, just in general, his overall stage presence was incredible. A, a couple other blues players, I think you have to pay homage to Buddy Guy. Yes. Uh, who is honestly, you know, among, if you could say, like true outright legends who are still alive. 
among the oldest buddy guy is certainly certainly there um blues is he's you know if, if you were creating a mount rushmore of blues he's got to be on that um and then the other one i would say is actually john mayer who is what yes Your okay body so, is a wonderland John okay Mayer? so here no, we I, go I, let's I let's have the no uh, i agree with you actually i would but but you got to defend it you got to defend john Mayer to anybody who doesn't know how to play ex- guitar. exactly and so here's the deal with Mayer. um he has become more and more highly revered among the guitar playing community in the past seven to ten years then he like even when he burst on the scene you know and he had a lot of it was acoustic pop oriented stuff with some electric kind of you know put in there his talent was undeniable but he wasn't you know seen as some sort of next great guitarist he is he is on pace i'm telling you like with with his collaborations his pure blues ability i mean he's still young he's not i don't even think he's i don't think he's 40 yet um he's on pace by the time you know, we get to 20, 40 or so to be a top 20 guitarist of all time. I think he is that good. His talent is that good. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff is like, I got to, you know, just go listen to it or just just YouTube John Mayer Blue Soul or something, and you'll, you'll see just how good he is. Uh, and the other thing with Mayer, uh, who a lot of his, his output I, I don't particularly enjoy, but, I, you know, the John Mayer Trio stuff is really good. It's actually his first major label, uh, which isn't bluesy whatsoever. Um, I don't mind going back to it now and then. It's kind of I discovered it in college kind of deal. But um, just just watch it and you'll see. He care he cares and is so invested in uh, the history that came before him, kind of knowing the greats. Is, you know, it's kind of like the the sports player that really appreciates. Like LeBron James is a, a huge student of the game of basketball and could tell you so much about the 70 years of the sport that came before him. Mayer is certainly a, a guy who's similar in that vein when it comes to blues guitarists and the greats in general. There was a Dave Chappelle show yes, where yes. he had, or he brings John Mayer around and they start, and he plays in like seven different styles and he plays well. You know, it's just, it's amazing to watch. So get, yeah, I'm sure that's on YouTube, just Chappelle and Mayer. And uh, it's funny. Um, my daughter is a big Fallout Boy fan. Don't judge her. She's a teenager. Hey, she fine. loves all that stuff. She loves Fallout Boy, Panic and Disco. But she first got into them when I found when she was a little kid, and I, I'd made all these. We can talk about this somewhere down the line. I made these educational discs for both of my kids. You know, none, none of that friggin' Twinkle Twinkle little cra- star crap. I I started them out with the Stones, Springsteen, the Beatles, all of that stuff that they needed for a foundation. They still to this day are going. Wait a minute, you used to play that song for me when I was when I was in the crib. Like, yes, awesome. indeed. But uh, one of the songs that I found somewhere down the line was Fall Out Boy did a cover of uh, Beat It, and they brought in John Mayer to do the Eddie Van Halen solo. And it's really, if you've never heard it, it's really worth checking out because he's playing his own thing, but it's an homage to the original solo, which is just, it's, it's you know, transcendent. I'm intrigued it's by worth, that. Yeah, it's worth, it's worth checking out just because it's, it's so good, and it doesn't embarrass anybody involved That's any more than, you know, covering Michael Jackson does already. Uh, any blues players uh, that come to mind for you in terms of and by the way, this is more, in my opinion, our, our favorites. I can't, I largely speaking, I, I have an issue with deeming something on the behalf of a writer or, or a panelist as the all-time greats because right. music can be so subjective. So this is just, you know, my lens and your lenses in terms of our approach. Yeah, it's funny because you and I track very, very similar. I had Buddy Guy also, and I saw him in a concert in uh, Chastain Park in Atlanta. I saw him open up for B.B. King. And B.B. King, I mean... He's one of those guys that, and I'd be interested to get your take on BB King because he's one of those guys that I that I appreciated, 
but I never really, I mean, I, yeah, I, I understood right it. You. I understood it. I, I enjoyed it. You know, I listened to Lucille all day long. I loved the tone, but it never really touched me the way that, that Buddy Guy did. And the funny thing was uh, at this particular concert, that it's, it's this amphitheater that's in the middle of a suburban area. Literally, they have houses right across the street. And it's a fairly well-off suburban area, so they have enough power to enforce a curfew, both of time and of sound. And cutting the power on Buddy Guy, mm. making him say, say that you can't go any higher than this level of sound, boy, that drove him nuts. He was walking around with it with a remote guitar, and he was so mad because he kept twisting the, the knob of his guitar, trying to get it to go louder, and he couldn't huh. do it. He was so mad, but, but uh, it was so much fun. So, yeah, he had an album that came out, I don't even know how long ago. It was, it was fairly recently called Sweet Tea. That was really, really good. Really worth checking out. Modern interpretations of the blues. That's really good. So I'm with you on. So I've got, again, in my view, I create a list of of five players that I just find to be overrated or overpraised to what appeals to my ears. Uh, sure. King would be one of them. BB King. I think he is so well regarded. Like he he was definitely an influential blues player. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think he basically helped popularize the genre to a certain degree beyond what anyone else had had ever done in his like he what he did for blues was was a, a pure, more basic approach than, say, what Stevie Ray Vaughan or another player who I think actually I think now he's he's becoming to he's he's on his way to being properly rated. And, and Bomani Jones is is it thinks he's straight up the most overrated player of all time. That's. Clapton I don't I don't listen to here's the deal though someone became a diehard fan in England in the mid 60s and spray paints Clapton as God and a photographer catches it and it kind of just ascends from there Um, and it's by no means Clapton's fault just I wouldn't consider him among the greatest guitarists of all time because one I, I, I think he's fairly straightforward in his approach with with blues and yet he was not nearly as expressive or dynamic with blues as someone like stevie ray vaughn in my opinion so king and clapton would be two of the guys they both fall into the blues category that i don't necessarily they don't they're not guys whose music i almost ever seek to listen to generally speaking i'll, I'll do cream don't get me wrong like cream is definitely and i went through like a fanatical cream phase for about six months when I was like in my late twenties, uh, it took me a while to, to kind of get to the band. But overall, those are two of the guys that just, they've never, I've, I've never really seen the light with. You remember the first time that when you were a kid, maybe early teenager, first time you had a decent steak, you know, maybe something your dad cooked on the grill. Maybe you go to like some Fridays or something like that. And you think this is, you know, this is better than grilled cheese. This is better than the hot dogs or the SpaghettiOs that I usually get. That's what Clapton is, man. He's good. But it's not until you go and you dig deeper and you go to a real friggin' steakhouse that you find out how much better it can be. And I think that's what Clapton was in the right place at the right time. He's with the Yardbirds. You know, he was, he was part of that trio that included Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page. He was able to go and he was with Cream and, he, and then he goes and he, and he gets his heart broken by uh, Patty Harrison and comes right. up with Layla. And so he's he's in the right place at the exact right time, even though a lot of Layla was written by Dwayne Allman. You know, he's he just was right there and he and he and he had his career go along so skillfully, whether by accident or by design, that yeah, he kind of becomes the default blues guy for a lot of people. And it's not until much later that you see, oh, 
yeah, that's great that he can hold one note and have a lot of soul, but but there are guys that can do that so much better than him. So yeah, I think he is his the the farther that we go, I think that that his role in the guitar world is dropping down to its proper level. Uh, I did want to hit on a few because my hope is that this podcast will eventually uh, get to some some diehards, you know, the guys who post on, you know, guitar message boards and stuff like that. So I did want to for those to appease those listeners. And maybe if, you know, we do have some listeners who uh, prefer occasionally just give me give me a guy who can play and doesn't need to sing necessarily or or sing much. I would say Joe Satriani in that regard is the god because I think he is sold among purely instrumental performers. I think I don't know this for sure, but I think he has sold more records than any other instrumental leaning guitarist like ever. Um, so he's someone. Think so? I mean, and he's got to be up there. It's got to be like him. I don't know who. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't. Know Maybe who, Eric Johnson. I don't know. It, Eric Johnson Myers. is definitely, and that's another one. It, and Eric Johnson is certainly a guy who, honestly. 98% of music fans probably have no idea who Eric Johnson is. Um, but the 2% that do are are seriously very, very invested into him. He doesn't do a ton for me, uh, but he is tremendously respected. You had mentioned Ingve Malmsteen, who uh, honestly is probably more diverse than he's given credit for. He, don't get me wrong. He is like, you know, his his finger tapping and shredding abilities are... Kind of ridiculous. It's it's insane. Like you'll watch some Malmsteen videos and you'll be like, that that guy does not have the brain of a human to be able to do that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but he is certainly a, a pretty well-known one. I would say, and another one, he's more jazzy though. Um, he's a different style. But Pat Metheny uh, sure. would be considered, I think, by many to be a top 30, 40 guitarist of all time. More jazz-leaning, but those are some of the less heralded guys who aren't necessarily, you know, lead and front man or just, you know, the guitar and what they do with it. Uh, it's a different reputation they have than with, with a lot of the other guys we're talking about here. Yeah. And there was a guy and I don't, I have not heard of him for decades, but his name was Alex Degrassi and he used to play uh, on the, on the fresh air sort of NPR circuit where it, but it was, it was beautiful. It was acoustic and it was a thousand notes a second. And it was, it, it was something that I would put on, you know, when I was trying to sound sensitive around the ladies back in college, but it was, it was nothing, but to me it had, it had a measure of soul to it, but it was more based on just creating these, these shapes out of notes in air rather than necessarily pulling on anything from deep within your heart and deep within your soul. So yeah, there, I mean, that's, that's what the great thing about the guitar is you can take it in any direction. It can be, it can be a paintbrush. It can be a scalpel. It can be a club and, and different players that are able to manipulate it in that way, draw different emotions out of you. Jay, do you, do you know of, or have you heard of, uh, the desert Rose band? Does that ring a bell or no? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So they've got, it's not really my style, but it's definitely, you know, it's Southern, chicken picking kind of deal but right. uh john jorgensen was the lead guitarist in that band and you know listeners might be like who's john jorgensen john jorgensen was so good that he had a model of fender guitar named after him twice um probably the best guitarist you've never heard of in terms of most listeners that might be checking in on this he's just another one where you hear about great guitar guy, like he wouldn't be considered a guitar guy. Cause in, in my opinion, if we're talking the gods, it's gotta be people who you say the last name and you immediately know who they are. And they're right. kind of, well, you know, really well known, but there are so many players who are so influential 
in those communities. Jorgensen's just another one that kind of popped to mind as we were discussing this. So. Yeah, there's there's that pretty narrow window. I mean, and obviously the farther that we go in time, the the smaller slice that it occupies from about you know the, the late 60s around 1970 when Jimmy Page starts it out to to right around the late 80s. It's a it's a fairly narrow slice where you had that iconic image of the one guitarist standing on stage with a spotlight on him and doing his solo. And he plays the first three notes of the song and the crowd goes nuts. And that, that whole image is kind of fading more and more into the past at this point. But uh, yeah, for, for a brief time, you're right. You mentioned the names, Paige, Hendrix, Van Halen, whatever. And you know exactly what you're talking about. I would put Van Halen. Okay. So Van Halen's an interesting one because first of all, I, I we can talk about hard rock guitarists in general here and I've got a few, but, there have been, all right, let's, let's, you know, I, I mentioned, uh, Ch- uh, Chuck Berry, uh, you've got Hendrick. I'm talking guitarists who basically really started a new conversation with, with how the guitar could be played and how it was presented. Hendrix did that. Van Halen did that. I mean, there are really maybe five or six guys that hit widespread appeal and Van Halen was among the last ones to do it in terms of when he hit the scene, uh, he kind of totally blew everyone away. In fact, I, it was funny. It's, it's not really a huge guitar song, but the first song I have ever mem—I have a memory of hearing ever in my life was actually Jump by Van Halen. I was, I was born in 81. Uh, Jump came out, I think, 84, I think. Right. Um, so I would have been about three years old. But you would have been, what, nine or ten when Van Halen hit? I mean... I was well. I was born in '68, so I'm a little I'm a little older. But when I was, when I was, uh, let's see, they hit they hit big. But when they were hitting big, and I was able to actually go to concerts, was in '84. You know, I was in high school, like an early high school then. And then I was I went to the '84 show, and then I went to the '86 when they brought on board Sammy Hagar and all of that. So yeah, I was I was aware of Van Halen, but when I was little, you know, when Van Halen, I don't have a memory of Van Halen one coming out, but I do have a memory of hearing. You know Van Halen, but that those scary big kids in the high school parking lot were playing. So it's <laughs> yeah. but but that only added to it, you know, because you're like hell yeah, man, that sounds pretty cool. There are a lot of guitar players consider Van Halen to be the best one ever to pick one up, in part because, and I don't, but in part because of how he basically set off the 1980s and, and totally changed the game. And some would again argue for the worse, but not a lot of that wasn't necessarily Van Halen's fault, so to speak. Uh, but in terms of the finger tapping and what <laughs> what eruption did in general, although I will say, you know, I'm pretty sure I have this story right. You might know, you might not, but like I think er- so. Eruption is like a written part, and it took like 200 takes or something to get down. Like it's an incredible recording. But you compare that to something like the Stairway to Heaven solo, and we'll get to our favorite solos in a bit here, but. Like the stairway solo was not written, and I think it was like an early take, like the second or third take, and then he just and Paige just nails it. So there's there are, it's always interesting to figure out or or discover which famous pieces of guitar music um, were slaved over in maybe multiple cuts over the course of a week or a month, and which ones you know the guitarist yeah, just, might have walked in, rubbed out the sleep out of his eyes, hit it on take two, and bada bing, it's it's you know it's known forever. Um, but Van Halen. Circling back here to hard rock guitarists, I would put Van Halen there. I would put Brian May as a hard rock guitarist. Uh, Brian May would be among my ten favorites of all time. And then my third guy, Jay, is actually 
he would kind of cross over into um, a guitarist of the past 15 years that I felt like I watched play. And the things, like, he consistently gets better and better. You might not know him. He's in a band called Umphreys McGee. His name is Jake Sininger. He is... So Umphreys is what I would call improg music. Um, they honestly might be the most versatile, consistently touring rock act of, you know, the modern era of 2015 going forward. They're... they're their style isn't for everyone, uh, but they're they're in incredibly talented. And, and Sinager, um, I just the things he can do, uh, his 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 sweeps, um, his rhythmic ability is just insane. Um, I I label him as a hard rock guitarist just because he he definitely can he he he'll drift toward that. Even though Humphreys McGee is not a hard rock band, his style within it is that. So if you have not heard, I might send you some stuff. Yeah, um, please do. I know, I know of the band and I've heard, but I don't know it well enough to be able to. Yeah, and and Umphrey, yeah, within this whole um, release of this first batch of podcasts, I did a fish episode with my colleague Will Brinson, and I basically, uh, to me, Umphrey's is the next iteration of Fish in that it's got a huge appreciation for its audience, uh, tours relentlessly. The set lists are incredibly varied with weird segues and callbacks in the second set from what they played in the first set. Um, and and they, they do some tremendous things. But what Sinager does, I mean, I would really consider him to be among the two or three true standout guitarists. I'd put him up there with Mayer, even though he's way different, of the past 15 years to kind of break onto the scene. But in terms of hard rock uh, guitarists over the past 50, 60 years, Jay, who are you going with? Well, I was just gonna first gonna gonna take a moment to soliloquize about Van Halen because do it up. God, he pisses me off now. He, I mean, he has for about the last right. Eddie Van Halen pisses me off because he he doesn't listen to anything other than his own music. And he doesn't even listen to that that much, and so as a result, his style has stayed frozen in amber for about the last thirty years. And you know, back when I was was first getting into Van Halen back in the mid eighties. I'm loving it. I'm eating it all up and, and enjoying it. And Sammy Hagar, I was okay with Sammy Hagar just then. I mean, Sammy's fine. He's a party dude. But I was I was delving into the guitar. And then they released an album. Let me see if I can remember which one it was. I think it was uh, it was For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge that they released in 1991, I think, or 1992, something like that. And it was clear that Eddie had not heard one lick of anything with grunge or Nirvana or anything like that, because it all sounded exactly the same as it had back in the eighties. And so I just, I, I hate it when an artist completely walls themselves off and, and I'm not saying that he needed to, to try and put out a grunge album, but it was so sterile. And, and so now they released that album a couple of years back where they had just a, it was, it was a collection of their old stuff that they had old demo tapes and then some new music that they brought back David Lee Roth for. And by this point, it was nostalgic for me. It's like, okay, that's a cool sound, but it still sounded like the eighties and it had no influence of anything other than Van Halen himself. So yeah, that was, that, that's, that always has annoyed me about Van Halen. Is I think so you, oyster. you've hit it, you've hit it on the head and I honestly could probably do a 40 minute podcast on Van Halen in general. That's and, our next one. Yeah. And listen, it does it. I think it's frustrating because for the, for the, the sect of fans that I had mentioned that consider Van Halen to be the greatest guitar player ever. I, the, re, the main reason I discount that is bec the exact reason 
that you've stated because he was amazing for about a seven year stretch, so to speak, uh, and never graduated from that. And and the band's inconsistencies, I mean, listen, it's kind of been a train wreck for well over 20 years. Um, it's just, you know, it's it's an ultimate in terms of a guitarist that wasn't killed early. It's the ultimate what could have or should have been with Van Halen as a band and as a guitarist. Um, and internal drama has kind of just stymied any progress that that band could have ever had. I just would love to see somebody challenge Van Halen musically, Eddie Van Halen musically, more than he gets challenged by his son and by his brother. You know, I would love to see what he, because he almost never goes out and solos with anybody. He never plays on anyone. He never, almost never plays on anyone else's album. One thing that he did do, and you mentioned Brian May, I don't know if you ever, did you ever hear the Starfleet Project album? I have not heard it, but I know this of it. Is, yeah, check it out. I'm sure it's on YouTube. It's it, he and, and Brian May sat down with a couple of other session dudes and just played about 30 minutes worth of, of they came up with some songs and then just wailed on them. And it was a lot of fun. And it obviously it sounds very Van Halen-y. It's kind of, it's a Van Halen and Queen mashup, which is, which is really neat. It's worth checking out for anyone if you're a Van Halen fan, but uh, I mean, it's self-indulgent, but so what? I would love to see more of that out of Van Halen. Interesting. Um, any other hard rock guys? I mean, we've, we've hit a lot of the hard stuff. I yeah. Yeah. I, I would throw in Angus from ACDC, Angus Young, yes. uh, just because he is the ultimate distillation. He's like he's like pure cane sugar, you know, like those those straws, those pixie sticks that you used to get when you were a kid. He's just just nothing but sledgehammer power chords. There's no subtlety whatsoever, and it's and it's perfect. You know, I just love I just love that because there's no there's no hint of anything other than just straightforward rock and roll. So there's, there's a lot to be said for straight simplicity like that. Well, speaking of Angus, I would argue that his brother Malcolm is, uh, among the most underrated guitarists ever. I think he's a terrific rhythm guitar player. Um, doesn't quite like Angus, you know, and what he does is so well known to me. Malcolm, uh, is terrific. And I'm not even a huge, see, the thing is, I'm not even really much of an ACDC fan, generally speaking, but when I do listen to them, I'm so drawn to the rhythms that are, are brought by Malcolm. And so I would I would list Malcolm as an underrated player, and then the other underrated player, if you have one, if we've even dis- discussed it, we can circle back to what you think. But I, to me, uh, Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits, maybe he's been said he's been so underrated so often that he no longer is, but I don't know, man. I looked at... I did scroll through a Guitar World Top 100 Guitarists of All Time article before we did this just to make sure I wasn't missing anyone I wanted to for sure mention, and Knopfler was like 92nd. Dude, to me, Knopfler is like a top 50 guitarist of all time easily. Um, oh, yeah. And so those are those are two guys that were in mainstream acts that I would consider to be underrated. Does anyone necessarily pop to the forefront of your brain here, Jay? Off the top of my head, no, but I, I think I would certainly agree with you. I'm trying to look through my own notes here about uh, who, who was – who was underrated uh, as a guitarist? I mean, I think that John Lennon was underrated as a rhythm guitarist. You do you know, because okay, he's, yeah, because I would I would say that I underrate him then because John didn't do too much for me to be honest. He was, you know, I mean, I think that in terms of just his ability to to transform what was not a uh, you know what he was transforming these old songs you know from from black groups and from uh, remote groups and things that, that people didn't understand into a more of a popular framework. I think he was a lot more able to do that than people give him credit for. Obviously, what you see what happens is guys' reputations get affected by their public image. And so Mark Knopfler has faded from the scene because you know most people haven't heard of what he's done since money for nothing. And uh, John Lennon, 
he went on and became capital J John Lennon, bigger right. than Jesus. And, and so it, it obscured his own guitar abilities. But uh, yeah, I think that, I think he's a little bit underrated as a, as a simple musician. Okay. So pure musician, I should say. All right, next category here. Um, and some of these, by the way, I should not even give you a heads up on. I kind of just thought, as I was like creating this list, I was like, all right, so these, uh, let's go with most inventive slash distinct guitarists. And I know I'm going to leave out a couple here because uh, I, I, this was the one where I woke up this morning before we did the podcast and I was like, I, I think I want to include this. So I'm going to forget a few, <laughs> but I would define these guys as their styles are true. Their styles or their tones are truly all all their own and, and for the most part haven't been duplicated because you can't truly do it like to me a lot of people tried to do what Hendrix did so like you know Hendrix's tone but it's not truly his own because he was so so influential that so many people tried to do what he did so he wouldn't qualify for that but here are guys that I would that I would put I would put Tom Morello who no one does and and the thing about Morello by the way is and, and this is kind of refreshing you know obviously Rage Rage Against the Machine Tom Morello and an audio slave and and actually, as a quick aside, I did not dig him with Bruce Springsteen. I don't know if you heard much of what he did with Bruce when he yeah, toured. Yeah, I wasn't. Did you like it? I was. I wasn't totally feeling that marriage there. Some it people was, liked it. Yeah, it was. It was a little bit strange having him do the uh, do the the strange sounds. The you know, along with Coast of Tom Joad and things like that. I mean, yeah, Springsteen is a, is a whole different animal to me. And and we could we could talk about him later on guitar wise. But uh, yeah, that might not have worked so well from it. It was it was a political. Uh, meeting of the minds, but not necessarily a musical one. I would think that's accurate, but Morella didn't even pick up a guitar until he was 17, maybe 18 years old, and so in part because of that, I, I feel like his approach has is, is been unorthodox, and he made, to a large degree, uh, Rage work so well. Um, Trey Anastasio from Fish, um, his tone is unlike any guitar tone I've ever heard anywhere else. Uh, I can't even fully accurately describe it. It's it's this washy, mild reverby, but it's got a punch to it. I don't know. Um, I'm not even a massive fish fan. I appreciate them. I grew up in Vermont. Uh, I was kind of surrounded by them, so I resisted them for a long time. But and again, it's fish, so. You can listen to the Fish podcast I did with Brinson to get a better idea of, of what Trey is about and, and their discography. Uh, I could point you to 900 links on YouTube of, of live cuts of what Trey does and, and his solos and his style. Um, it's really impressive. And he also, a, a large degree of it is um, uh, some of the, the gear he uses on stage is, is, is truly one of a kind. His guitars are made by a luthier from Vermont that he basically uh, signed to make only fish guitars from the mid 80s on so you can't you can't get those kind of guitars as well uh robin trower uh has what's called a univibe sound um he played the procol harem um it's considered the peak of the genre so to speak in terms of his vibe sound among guitar players so you you said you play guitar right yes okay so i I think almost every guitar player, when they discover Hendrix, for example, who had a vibe sound to him, they, it, it, the vibe sound is so, it's, it's a swirly, pulsating, kind of really cool thing when you really go down that rabbit hole. Um, and Trower is considered the king of that. Um, and so I went through a phase where I tried to sound like Robin Trower and, and <laughs> failed. How'd that go for you? Failed tremendously. <laughs> um, two more. Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, because he is 
really diverse and to me was one of my favorite guitar players of the 90s his his post 2000 radiohead stuff i he's he's almost too i don't want to say he's too good for guitar he just his attention span kind of just pulls him in so many different directions but i still think what he does and for example uh paranoid android that guitar solo is seen as almost like an anti-guitar solo with what he does in that song i think that's pretty distinct and then frampton peter frampton um who has the whose sound was so good i guess that his style is most well known for a live album than anything he did in the studio um, yeah so and you know the talk box thing really he wasn't the first to do it. He might not have been the best. Maybe he was the best, but that talk box style um, and kind of the the punchy but flat tones that he got off of that Gibson um, was certainly pretty identifiable. So those are those are a few guitarists who I find to be inventive in their sounds and for a large part, you know, not really duplicated by by the wannabes. Yeah, I would throw in uh, Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. I mean, that ZZ Top had be, become kind of a cartoon what with the beards and everything and the you know the and the uh the rambler the the little car that they had in every video but my god that dude can play and he's figured out a sound that is is completely distinct you know you when you hear the first few notes of a of a ZZ Top song regardless of never you never heard it before you know it's that kind of, I mean it's it's a sound that is so greasy and dirty it gets your speakers messy it is so good i love i saw them at long last i saw them earlier this year and it was so much fun seeing them play they were really good and then john frusciante i don't is that yeah. how you pronounce his name from yeah, the uh, chili peppers i think it's frusciante yeah. but either way it works johnny f from the chili peppers uh is so good and he's so he's another guy who is who is so freaking inventive and he may not have been the best fit for the Chili Peppers in terms of him, but he was exactly what they needed because, you know, you've got Flea and you've got Anthony Kiedis. And the, the two of them, that's the centerpiece of the Chili Peppers, and, and that's the dynamic. But, but Frusciani was able to put in uh, his, his fills, his, his ideas on riffs. Everything was so much more so much more than the Chili Peppers needed, and it made the songs better, that much better. I think that when they brought Dave Navarro in, you, you noticed that, it, yeah. I'm not going to say it had a drop off in quality, but it was just a different tonal sound. And, and I think that, I think he's left them again, so I'm not sure where they are now, but uh, with a guitarist, but but uh, yeah, he was another guy that that was immediately identifiable once you can pick him out of the mix. I think I think that's actually a pretty great pick. I wish I, wish I had thought of it, but I'm glad you brought it to the table, because the Chili Peppers... Uh, you know, sometimes it can get a little tough to <laughs> like the all of Kiedis right. is like, you know, right. and his weird staccato non-raps kind of thing. Uh, but but Flea would be considered honestly a top 20 bassist of all time. And Frusciani had 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 certainly a tremendous approach, uh, a really nice tone. Um, that's a really that's a really good call. And I would certainly agree with it. Um, what about acoustic? Guys with not necessarily acoustic players, although to a certain degree we can do that. But guys with an acoustic in their hands, some of your favorites. I've got a few, but I, I'm going to let you uh, kind of, if you can think of a couple off the top of your head here, I'll, I'll let Why, you. Why uh, Nuno Betancourt from Extreme, of course. Oh. A little bit of a little bit of more than words. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I never learned it, but I, I got to admit that when I first started playing guitar, I did debate learning that because it's you know it was uh, it was. Jeez, it was that. See, when you say that song, the two other songs I think of, and I would have to check the charts, but in the in terms of the era, I think of that. I think of Teen Spirit, 
Yes. And I think of uh, Be With You by Mr. Big. I don't yes. know why. Those three songs, they, they're of the same, like, w- the same two-month times period when I got my own radio. I was living in Vermont. I would listen to, you know, the popular radio station. Those songs were always on. That Be With You song, it's just, you just, I haven't thought about that in decades, but it's it's all about a dude wanting to hook up with a chick, you know, just like passing her down the line. It's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty sleazy song when you get right down, you know, just to be the next to be with you. Yeah, it's a, that, we probably shouldn't delve too deeply into the lyrics of those late 80s metal songs. But uh, no, I mean, that was always fun. But you know who I saw? This is a, we've already mentioned him once, but uh, I saw Springsteen play an acoustic solo concert in Memphis a few years back. And it was amazing. It was him and the guitar. And he, he was obviously, you know, his voice and his stories are as much, if not more, a part of the overall show as his, his guitar playing. But this is how amazing this was. This is a 3,000-seat auditorium. And he says, you know, as the show starts, he says, all right, everybody, look, you know, this is not E Street Band. I'm not going crazy here. Just everybody just shut up and and enjoy the music. And he had such command of the audience that while he's playing and he's playing and and when he has the breaks and when he pauses, you can hear the AC running in the building. Mm. I mean, and there were 3,000 people here. It was sold out. So he was, he's, I've always enjoyed his acoustic work. Uh, Dwayne Allman, you know, sort of the Allman Brothers. I love their, uh, you know, love the, the way that they do slide guitar and the way they've done acoustics. Sure. So those were the two that came off the top of my head. I would go, you know. I would go Neil Young. Um, I do enjoy. I like Neil acoustic more than Neil with an electric. Yeah. For the most part, although Russ Never Sleeps is certainly uh, dynamite. Tim Reynolds, who's played with Dave Matthews Band for so many years. When they play full band, he plays an electric. Um, and Reynolds kind of got a, a reputation for just, you know, million notes a minute kind of deal. It's not just that. Uh, he's really, really talented. He, play, he doesn't even play a cutaway when he plays an acoustic. And his ability to kind of move up and down the fretboard is, is really impressive. I, I think his ability on the acoustic guitar is somewhat downgraded because he plays with Dave and... Because Dave was such a mainstream, and still, you know, to a certain degree, is, is so well known, I feel like Reynolds doesn't get enough of his due. He's he's truly a pretty amazing and ridiculous guitar player, and his solo stuff on the acoustic, with the things he's able to compose, and then to use a loop pedal to kind of build and, and compose stuff is really impressive. Pete Townsend is someone who I think doesn't get enough yeah. love for how good he was on an acoustic guitar. Right, Lindsay, right. L- Lindsay Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac. I think has a rightful reputation as being a really strong and solid acoustic player. And then John McLaughlin, who kind of primarily made his name off of acoustic playing, would be some of the ones that uh, that pop into mind. But I like I like playing. See, I like playing acoustic more than electric. I've got both, and with electric, you get into pedals, and it, it can be very fun sonically. And then you get what's known as gas, which is gear acquisition syndrome. And it's like, well, I've got four pedals, but I could really... <laughs> Why can't I have five? I no, you know, it. I've got this fifth one, but I could really use a sixth one here. And then the next thing you know, you've got 14. Acoustic, you sit down. It's just you and the guitar. I love the smell of a good acoustic guitar. So while I've most of this podcast is talking about the, you know, legacies and influences of electric players, to me, I actually prefer acoustic guitar. Yeah, and the the best thing about acoustic for me is, I mean, I'm not a technically proficient player. I can I can do a chord progression just fine. I can do a few runs here and there, a little bit of lead, but I'm not one of the guys that can sit there and entertain you with finger picking for three hours on an acoustic guitar. What I enjoy is just 
it's the it's the more primal, the more communal sense. So you know, we go on a big camp out with a bunch of families uh, every year Memorial Day, and I bring the acoustic and I bring a whole selection of songs. And so we'll be sitting there singing, you know, "Blister in the Sun" and "Don't Stop <laughs> Believing" and "Time of Your Life" and all those big fat chord songs. And it is so much fun, and it's so much more rewarding when you've got an acoustic uh, along with it. So yeah, it's it's a pure sound. It's really it's the, it's the guitar at its most basic essence, and and done right. It's it's a hell of a lot of fun. All right, we got a few more things to hit on here, and you'd sent me an email with a few guitar gods you wanted to discuss, and I promise we're going to get to them. But let's just <laughs> really briefly talk and kind of circle back to the beginning of the podcast. Guitarists of the past two decades to kind of come on the scene and, and make an impression. There aren't that many, uh, right? Okay, uh, Mayer is one. Uh, to me, I mentioned Jake Sinager from Umphreys McGee. He hasn't even made an impression because to me, you know, you're a, you're a guy who knows guitar so well and you aren't familiar with him so i wouldn't even say he qualifies i would say Derek trucks who i yeah, think is 37 yeah. very young he was playing with the allman brothers in the late 90s he was like 12 when crazy he started, crazy yeah and it was there's another one um uh who was it? there's a i'm blank in here there's a guitarist who oh i'm i'm just uh i'm <laughs> drawing a no, no there's some amazing guitarist we we might have talked about him i forget who opened for someone when he was like 10 years old oh i'm blanking anyway um but yeah it's trucks was really really good at a really really young age um gary clark jr oh yeah is pretty solid overall um undeniable ability jack white yeah you got him jack white jack white he he's good Actually, you tell me why you think Jack White's so good, and I'll. I'll I think give that you Jack White, I, I'm not quite. I, I get as the more the years go on, the more sold I get on Jack White. I, it, it was the kind of thing where I think people were when he came when he hit the scene big in the late '90s, early 2000s. I think that that guitar geeks like you and I were so desperate to have somebody who seemed to be in tune with what we like. You know, he said all the right things. He had all the right uh, gear. He had all the right clothing. He had the right look. He had the right influences that I think that we gave him a little more credit maybe necessarily than he deserved at the time, you know, when he got, mm. when he was, did you, what, did you see the, um, the, it might get loud documentary yes. with him and the edge, the, uh, and Jimmy page. Yeah. That, that opening just infuriated me when he was not infuriated, but it was just, it was annoying when he's building his little guitar right there out of the nails and the Here wire. And it was just silly because it was like, you haven't earned that. You haven't, you're, you're, you're still an early thirties white kid. You don't know anything about anything yet. But as time has gone on, he's demonstrated that he's got a wealth of musical knowledge. He's helped out musicians. He's got uh, he's got that third man records in Nashville. He's really shown that he is he is the real deal. And as time has gone on, he's become a lot more legit. I I agree. I think he's a listen. I want musicians that give back in a strong, positive, public way. And Jack White certainly does that to a big time degree. He cares. He's He's a less temperamental Ryan Adams, I guess. Ryan Adams. Yeah, actually, actually I like I like Ryan that's Adams on acoustic it. too. And Ryan Adams, like you know, Ryan Adams cares about the music and and he's he's delved into so many different projects and. But he wants you to know how much he cares he, about it too. Yeah, it's very, there's, you there's, know how yes. much he cares. Yes, there's certainly an element to that. And at the time of this podcast, we have not heard his covers of Taylor Swift's 1989 thing, but that's one of those things where it's like. Uh, all right, uh, I, I'm gonna listen to it, I guess. But it's it's such a Ryan Adams thing to do to be like, yeah, 
Taylor Swift's 1989 album deserves an all covers effort from me within like a year and a half of its release. I don't I know. I am not special. But White, listen, White is very visceral in his playing. And listen, like, here's the, this isn't even necessarily about his playing, but so much as his songwriting. To me, Seven Nation Army was amazing the first time I heard it because it's a rare instance of a song where you hear it for the first time and you're like, no, I've heard this song before. The the simple bass line, guitar line to that don't 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 I mean it's trite and cliche now because every fan base chants it as as a means of a taunt, so to speak. Yeah. And we've heard it so often. But when that first came out, it's the lead track off of Elephant, it was I was like, I've heard this before and I and I hadn't, but it was one of those things where someone finds a a melody to something and it's it was it was it was almost like it existed in the universe and Jack White transported himself, went, picked it up, brought it back, put it on his guitar, and, and made it something that was existing. So yeah, there's a few songs like that. I mean, the first time I still remember where I was the first time I heard "Smells Like Teen Spirit," you know, sure, and uh, or or "Sympathy for the Devil," you know, we're going even farther back. "Welcome to the Jungle." These songs that that you you hear them and they sound like you've known them your whole life, even though they just you're hearing them for the first time. It doesn't happen often. You know it. You, you can't fake it. And you know what happens when I know exactly what you're talking about. You can't even remember a time before. We can't even remember a time there before being Seven Nation Army because it is so omnipresent at this point. I, I agree. And there's a great article that ran about four years ago or so on Deadspin, uh, if you Google it, um, about Seven Nation Army and how it kind of took over the sports world uh, and the crowd and the chanting thing. It's, it's, worth a, it's worth a read. Okay, so you sent me an email and you gave me – this. these might have been guys off the top of your head – um, but you gave me seven players. We've only really touched on Van Halen, but I'm going to give you the floor fully here. You okay. Can, you know, you can tick them off yourself and, and what you might might like or appreciate about these these certain guys. I don't know if this would be your favorite top seven or whatever, but 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 fire away on me here. Yeah, I threw a few in there just to – I need to pull it back up again. But I threw a few in there that I just enjoyed hearing them play just for whatever distinctive reason. I mean, Jimmy Page, uh, I – he got such a he had an amazing rep obviously with Led Zeppelin then he kind of went into seclusion for many many years but he's he's emerged as this elder statesman now and he's he plays still and I'm still looking forward to hearing what he does because he's another guy who can play on the acoustic guitar like you wouldn't believe and uh, he's he's a guy that's always because of what because of the way that his mind works he he thinks in riffs you know he goes and thinks in in black dog and heartbreaker and these kinds of riffs and the way that he's able to do that it's just fascinating to see how he does it and then who else I threw I had uh, Kirk Hammett on there which I know you and I are going to you're going to going to either come to blows over or what have you <laughs> I don't think that he's necessarily a great guitarist I mean he is from a technical perspective but I like what he adds to Metallica I think that that he brings something different to Metallica than the standard sort of thrash I think it's it's Obviously, Metallica is mostly James and Lars, you know, the the rhythm guitarists and the and the drums, the way that they interplay. Mm-hmm. But I think that that uh, Kirk Hammett brings something different and something a little bit more melodic than they might otherwise have. It's it's not just a sledgehammer; it's a it's a sledgehammer with a, a pretty bow on it. So he's a lot of fun. And then Steve Vai was a guy that uh, that I just enjoyed listening. I still do enjoy listening to him. He, he was one of Joe Satriani's students, and obviously he became big when he when he played with uh, David Lee Roth right after Roth left Van Halen in the 80s, going way, way back. But he was another guy who's just way too talented for the room. You know, he could play anything, but it doesn't quite seem to have that same kind of deep, gritty blues soul that you would get out of a lot of other players. 
I think you've hit on something. So I'll, I'll do quick responses to all three of those. Please with, do. With Vi, it's never clicked for me. Ever, uh, I've trust me, I've tried. There are certain guys, <laughs> and like Satriani, I've tried. There's a coldness, isn't there? There's a, it's like a remoteness. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree. I think that's a perfect word for it. There's a certain coldness to it, or or a certain technical or mental approach to it, where it's not tapping in to the most import, important part of of the body, and that's the heart. I'm not saying they don't play with heart and that it's not there, but for a lot of people, their approach, while undeniably uh, filled with with talent and technical ability, it's not necessarily something that connects to a large portion of the it's audience. It's the heart. It's the heart or the balls, man. It's it's the groove, that's, you know. Yeah, that's, a guy that's like Jimmy, the groove a guy is like huge. Jimi Hendrix, you know, that guy could friggin' groove. And and you know, Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, they just don't. They not granted, not many people can plug into a groove like Jimi Hendrix. But there's just something. It's it's like it's too much on the brain and not enough of the other parts of the body. Uh, with Hammett. I'm I'm not anti Hammett. I and I I feel like actually it's almost similar with the Clapton situation where 20 years ago I think Hammett's reputation was higher than it is now and that was true of Clapton 20 30 years ago. Yeah. He's just not a player that in my opinion would be among the top five or ten in the genre. Ever. I could That's get that. All. I mean, but listen, his voice is distinct within Metallica and it. Certainly the band, and you're right, I mean, to me, Hetfield is a tremendous rhythm guitar player. He is fantastic. I think I think he's actually more vital to that band sound than, than any other member, uh, even dating back to Burton uh, personally. But that's just, that's my approach on it. In terms of Page, so I've, I've come around on Jimmy Page. I used to think he was the most overrated guitar player of all time, but now I don't, and here's why. You'd mention it. It kind of just clicked, I don't know, years back when I was like, you know what? I don't know if any guitar player has been a better riff maker in the history of the game than Jimmy Page. There are so many Zeppelin riffs that are just straight up ridiculous. Some of them are are technically simple, and then you'll pick up the guitar to kind of just play it and sing it at the same time, and granted Page wasn't doing that. And you'll be like, whoa, okay, this is going to take some time to really, you know. And, and some of it, the movement's like... Um, like the black dog riff, dude. That's so that's so fun to play, but it's got this weird like tumbling movement to it, and it's brilliant. I think Page is so good because he's the working man's guitar hero because he was sloppy. Now some oh, yeah. of the, some of the some of, and some of the studio stuff like the cuts that were laid down, and it it almost just brings a little more authenticity, which you know some guitar purists might just seem as pure. That might be a pure cop out. Like no, do the cut right. Do a retake. We don't need to hear some slip-ups. But to me, I've always appreciated uh, that element, whether it's vocals, bands, solos, whatever, in, in records. I like when there's just a little bit of dirt on the floor just to give it a little more authenticity to it. Page had that. Certainly, a lot, like if you watch a lot of the live Zeppelin stuff and sometimes, you know, just tricked out of his mind. Uh, oh, and, yeah. and to be able to even play at that level to be like that is kind of insane. But I've come around on Page... I wouldn't put him in my top 10 favorites, but if you had me list top 10 guitarists of all time, I would I would be forced to put him in there purely because riff writing is something that doesn't come naturally or easily to almost every single person that ever picks up a guitar. And for Paige to have written as many good ones as he did, I think that's why he's worthy of it. Yeah, that's that's why I was so bummed that he said, all right, that's it, vaults are closed, because it's like, oh, you know, you're always kind of hoping that there's right. some more Led Zeppelin tucked away. But still... 
you know, the stuff that they tossed off for Coda was still better than than so much else that's out there. I agree. So you also have you you wrote down Slash, Keith Richards, and probably my favorite guitar player of all. You listed Alex Lifeson. Yes, yes. I mean, like, the Rush was my first. You asked uh, in one of your your earlier questions, or what was my what uh, was the first album that I recall buying with my own money? It was Rush's Moving Pictures. And that was, you know, I was a high school kid in the 80s, which means that I was automatically, I mean, I, I was completely in the Rush demographic, you know, Tom Sawyer and Limelight and all of that stuff. And I think that uh, Alex Lifeson, as he's gone on, he, he doesn't get nearly enough credit. He's, he's an underrated one for what he contributes to the overall Rush sound because it's so much focused on Geddy Lee's voice and Neil Peart's drumming. But uh, Lyson, you know, that guy, the guy adds a complete new textual element to Rush that, that is a lot of fun. Um, Slash, you know, I could talk for days on Guns N' Roses. And, and <laughs> in terms of one guy that you want to start a band with, I think it would be Slash. He doesn't have the most distinctive sound, but he can play anything. He can play absolutely anything, and he can it can do a reasonable approximation of it. He's, you know, he's got that kind of standard. He's got the, the Les Paul Sunburst guitar and all of that, and he's got a fairly straightforward sound in terms of, of the sound itself. But the way that he plays and the way that he attacks the guitar, you know, it was it was something very very different than what was going on in, in hair metal at the time. And uh, yeah, so that that stuff has stuck with me. Well, with Lifeson, I actually consider him to be the best combination rhythm lead player of all time. Because a lot of the guys we talked about, they were predominantly lead players. Lifeson really dances between both because of the, out of necessity. I mean, the noise and power that Rush brings out of three people is just ridiculous, to be honest. <laughs> and for Lifeson to kind of go back and forth between the two, it's almost his nature. It's not just like, oh, in this song, he's he's rhythm and then lead, read, then lead, then rhythm and lead. A lot of the songs that Rush writes, the parts he's writing are at the same time, rhythm and lead parts. And so I think he's done that better than anyone ever, and just in terms of blending both and the true challenge within that. And when you also consider, obviously, Getty Lee's really tremendous bass playing, but Neil Peart's, the, the stuff he's doing on the drums and to kind of write parts around that and to keep it all together, it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. You also mentioned Richards, who is considered among the better rhythm players of all time. Uh, and what he did with the Stones. Yeah, I'm so I'm one of my major faults as a music fan is I I think the two bands I've tried hard so hard to get into and they just don't click is Wilco and some of the Wilco stuff is finally just a little bit coming through <laughs> a little bit there are, there are a few things that I've I've enjoyed and then the Stones man I well, I love Gimme Shelter. And like that's it, and Ugh. I have, tr dude, and I have tried. I can't explain it. There, are, everyone's got the, everyone's <laughs> got those bands though, man. Like I just can't help it. I just I am, don't get into them. I feel that. I mean, you know, Neil Young never quite clicked for me. Lou Reed never quite clicked for me. But, and Wilco, I'm the same way. Wilco, uh, you know, my sister uh, used to teach up in Chicago, and she would run into Jeff Tweedy and his kids all the time, and so she's always sending me Wilco stuff. You gotta love this, and and I, it just hasn't clicked for me. But the Stones. It's almost it's something different than guitar based, and and I love the guitar, but the Stones for me is an overall aesthetic experience. If you if you want to get too geeky about it, but uh, yeah, Keith Richards, just the way that he he's one of the guys I mentioned before about the different ways that you can use a guitar, and he can use his guitar like a club, and he literally did that one time. Uh, you might have seen this video where it's I think it's during 1976. This fan comes on stage, they're playing Satisfaction. This is worth looking up on YouTube. 
fan comes on stage, middle of, ba- of balloons dropping, Richards takes off his black Telecaster and goes and just smacks, just clubs the fan, literally clubs the fan, puts the guitar back on and barely misses a beat. I mean, it's just like, hell yes. He's nowhere close to the most technically proficient guitarist, but anybody that can do that, you know, that's rock and roll. There. Nice. Okay, so before, and we're almost done. You, this is amazing, by the way. This is the longest podcast to date. And I'm, again, <laughs> like you were right, triple album here. I like, We are just scratching the surface. But yeah. you had mentioned Slash. He would be your number one pick. If you, were, if you were to start a band and the lead player that you, Slash would be your number one choice? Well, it's, it's the way that, it's two, there's two ways to phrase this question. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, who would, who, you bring in a guy like Eddie Van Halen and it's going to sound like Van Halen right. no matter what, you know, but if you're looking to start just a general band and then see where it goes, I think you want somebody like Slash, you know, who's, who's got a much more adaptable style or someone like Hendrix. Hendrix, Hendrix is, is on my so, list. Yeah. He's so unbelievably good. And then Page was also on my list because you know, what the hell you can always use Jimmy Page. But uh, it, it, I also threw in, you know, I had Dave Grohl who we haven't talked about as a guitarist or Joe Perry, who's in that Slash mold. Uh, where they can play anything with that kind of rootsy stones blues groove. But Hendrix is a guy who I think is, is I don't think you can call him underrated in any way, but if he's in any way underrated, it's the, the diversity of sounds. This guy was a genius, not just at rock, but at blues and at jazz and at stuff that we haven't seen invented yet now, 40 years later. So any of those guys would be worthwhile. Listen, that's, you know, this, this has been written and talked about to death but it's it's true the things that hendrix was tapping into and, and the psychedelia of, of all of it um to a certain degree it's it's never been even close to being touched since since he since he died i would have hendrix there uh, because he was he was that diverse and he is you know this isn't really something i that i wrote down as something we touch on but to, to me hendrix is the best guitar player of all time uh, i think you could make that case I, I, I'd, to I'd, me he's, I'd sign on that um i would have david gilmore as in terms of starting a band that's good Uh, not crazy variety but really like his 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 feel and the emotions that he's able to pull out of what he does to me for sure um without a doubt i would say i would i hesitate to include this next one but i think i do it even though even though he it would have. So, to, I guess it would depend. So I'm. I'm saying Prince. Okay. Prince. Oh, absolutely. But absolutely. here's the deal with Prince. Okay. So he is really, really good. Really good. Listen, the uh, the while my guitar gently weeps video, which is now I think about ten years old, and gets passed around as sort of like a link of the day randomly for no apparent <laughs> reason on Twitter like twice a year. It's that good. He's he's tremendous. Prince is a top ten all time talented guitarist as far as I'm concerned and that doesn't even tap into you know his legacy his songwriting ability but I will say this why I would hesitate maybe I put him on but I would hesitate because he'd be paying the ass to work with well there's that actually I didn't even there's that (laughs) um like I still like a lot of what Prince did in the 80s but undeniably a lot of that stuff sounds really dated these days yeah there's no doubt about it a lot of it's dated and then the stuff that he's put out over the past decade or so had there is you you listen to it and there's clear inspiration there but it's not it's not something that you're seeking necessarily to go back to so it's a lot of it's there but i can't i you know i'm i'm almost talking myself out of it i got uh Dwayne Allman who is a, who is a, a huge what if i mean 
him and Randy Rhodes, really the two that died super young, um, you know, but I would have to include him. And then one guy we haven't talked about yet, who actually I think is among the most diverse and talented ones, is Jeff Beck. Oh, yeah. How do we, how do we let him get past us? Uh, Jeff Beck, yeah. who, has not pl- who has the distinction of being the best electric guitar player not to use a pick, I think, ever. He, he dropped playing with a pick like 30 years ago or so, and... Um, there's been some great. I, I couldn't tell you what the name of it is, but occasionally, do you get the channel Palladia by chance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Occasionally, there'll be. A, there's been one or two different Beck, uh, Jeff Beck programs. You know, just him like in a small club, like literally like a hundred people. And if I land on it and I don't have anything pressing, like I'm I'm watching it. It's it's on while I'm doing work or whatever. And to this day, I mean, he's still just good because he can play so many styles and that's why i would i would include him in that i saw him he was on that zz top bill earlier this year and uh he led off and he played a 45 minute set and then zz top comes on and he came on and played a couple songs with him you know played jesus just left chicago friggin ungodly man it was so so good and you forget how good he is until you actually see him live and you see what he's able to coax out of the guitar all right favorite guitar solos all the time. Do you have a few by chance? Yeah, yeah, okay. I got a few. Well, Let's here's do. here's what, before we do this. So, the, the, to me, there, there, are, there's the Mount Rushmore. Okay. Yeah. What do you think? If I said the four solos that would be on the Mount Rushmore, that kind of are just you know, let's exclude them because they're on any list. What do you think the four are? Okay, you got you got to have eruption. Is I there. I so no eruption was my fifth in parentheses. Oh, okay, all right. That was so I because it was it was between eruption and and one other one. Okay, uh, stairway to heaven. Yes, stairway uh, is one. Because that's let's see. Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know, maybe, n- n- probably not Layla. Nope. Um, what else? Because as soon as you say it, I'm going to know it. So, okay. uh, all right, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Tell so, me what okay. So comfortably numb. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Stairway. Free comfortably numb's got two friggin' It does. I know, which is, it, <laughs> I know it does. Uh, Freebird. Yeah. And yeah. Hotel California. Oh, of course. Of course. That, yeah. That's, now that's just my approach on it. I, there could be people listening that are like, are you kidding me? But those, so those are the obvious ones. So I, right. and, and they're so, and I, and I'm not even a huge Eagles fan, but listen, the, like Hotel California is the most melodic of all those. And yeah. it's, it's just so Those superb. triplets that are, once you, yeah. once you learn how to play, I mean, you know, this as a guitarist, there are a few things that once you learn how to play them, you feel like you have arrived as a guitarist. I learned how to do the Eddie Van Halen tapping thing, you know, when I was back in, in college. And I thought, oh, my God, my life is, is complete <laughs> now. At age 19, I can do that. And then the, the triplets on uh, the descending triplets there on Hotel sure. California, same deal. It's just like, yes. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so with those out of mind, and I tell you, this was kind of excruciating because I know there are like, 10 solo i've got like five or six that i've listed but there are like 10 of them that i know and i'll think of. i'll be like man i like that one even more why oh, did i, I know. say that i know i had to stop myself i said all right here you've hit five stop all right away. lay them on me all right uh well we already talked about it the, the prince one from the rock and roll hall of fame uh yeah. that's just it's it's so ungodly good and it's it, that's a, that's the solo that i show people who are not guitarists and they are like wow you know yes. not only because it's prince but because it's just that guy found something else. You know, it's it's on while my guitar gently weeps. If you haven't seen this, go find it. Go go look it up right now. Stop this podcast and go look <laughs> it up. It is it will transport you. It does everything that music is supposed to do. And and it's just you know he he goes and he plays and he falls into the crowd and they push him back up on stage and oh it's just it's it's magnificent. It's basically here's how I would qualify it. So he's on stage. Prince is on stage with, you know just uh, serious legends right. at, at the at the at the Harrison Rock and Roll 
enshrinement ceremony. And it's basically the guitar playing version of Michael Jordan's FU Hall of Fame speech. Okay. Yeah. Cause he's, he's just like, okay, all you not chumps, the meanness, yeah. not the meanest, but just like the, I'm the greatest. What like, it's just a step aside. <laughs> and I think at one point, doesn't like petty, like someone tries to like step back in and like kind of, and, and Prince is like, I, I ain't done here. No, no, hang we're, on, hang on. <laughs> we're, we're still going. So anyway, absolutely a classic. I encourage you pausing the podcast right now. Even if you've seen it 10 times, pause it again, go watch it right now, and come back to the rest of the podcast. Yes, yeah. Agreed. Uh, Keith Richards' Sympathy for the Devil. Uh, it's not a technically proficient, but it is it is the meanest sounding guitar solo you will ever hear. Just go back. I mean, it just sounds sure. it sounds angry. And I love it when you can you, – when, it, when something passes the, from the guitarist through the instrument and into your ears and into your soul – that's something special. It doesn't happen a whole lot with studio music, but this is one song where it just it comes right through and you can feel it. So that's a, that's another good good one for me. Okay. Any others that you want to? Yeah, yeah. We'll throw. I shoot. I'll throw them all here. Keep, keep, keep. I don't. I don't disagree. Um, uh, I'm just. I'm just gonna let you reel them off. This is this is a favorite one of mine. Um, Eddie Van Halen. The first time that he played with Sammy Hagar. Now, hear me out, people. Hear me out. It was at a Farm Aid show, and they didn't know any songs together. This is before they'd rec- recorded an album or anything. Sammy had just been introduced as, as the lead singer or whatever. They played a version of rock and roll, and Eddie Van Halen rips off a solo during this that is all of Van Halen compressed into like one 90-second bit. And it is really, it's really? if you like Van Halen, it's worth seeking out this one solo and just watching him wail. And, and Hagar is just, Hagar can play guitar himself, but you can tell he's looking at him like, holy shit, I'm not getting anywhere near that. So yeah, that's that's one that I enjoyed as well. It's a personal favorite. Uh, what else did I have here? Uh, Slash is Locomotive. So on, on one of the Use Your Illusion albums, there's a song called Locomotive. And it's just a straight groove, and Slash just wails out a solo on this. It's not it's not real well known. This is a deep cut, but uh, that's one that I really dig as well. And then my geek nerd side, um, Steve Howe from Yes, who we haven't talked about. There is this 20-minute long Yes song on the album Relay called Gates of Delirium. And it's it's I don't even know what the hell it's about. It's about dragons and mystery. I have not heard that song. Probably it's not. Yeah. Been year, like but, more than a decade, I think. Oh, it's 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 ridiculous since all this Hobbit over the top nonsense crap and fairies and all that stuff. But, but still, he plays this solo that is just it's, it's the it's the prog rock equivalent of what Prince did, where you've got all these different guys, every member of the band, uh, trying to assert their dominance, and then Steve Howe steps up and just rips off this solo that reminds everybody that he's in charge of the band. So that's that's another one that uh, that I particularly enjoy. Okay, here's a few of mine. All right, I lied. I have, I think I have seven of these. Okay, so um, this is in no order. The uh, the Alive solo from Pearl Jam off the Yes, 10, yes. That is among the last memorable studio cut guitar solos. And the sad thing is, it, it happened almost 25 years ago. I know. And you really cannot, and again, going back, we talked about the beginning of the podcast, and anyone listening, you know, at mention us on Twitter at Matt Norlander at Jay Busby. Let us know if there's if if there's some amazing solo that was recorded in 2002 off of a band we don't know. And yeah, it, by all means, I want to I want to hear it. I want to hear feedback for sure. But that is among the the final ones. In terms of Jeff Beck, there is there's a song called 
this is all instrumental. It's called "Cause We've Ended as Lovers," and it's yeah, off an album yeah. called "Blow by Blow." Mm-hmm. Jay, it is just six minutes of anger, blood. Like you can hear and feel the sweat pouring off the fretboard. It's a paced solo, and it to me, it, it's almost like you got to listen to it like thirty times to just soak it all in. Just a, a tremendous, tremendous solo slash instrumental performance. That I, that I don't think it's a nearly enough love. Um, yeah. You mentioned Lifeston. I love... So my favorite Rush song is Livilla Strangiato. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And that's a song that's got different movements within it. And right about... And I actually looked it up. It's about the 350 mark. Um, it's before the Monsters movement, which is probably the most driving, like, my favorite part of the song. Before there's a solo, it's, it's a big crescendo with punchy tone it's urgent and it's a little slippery it's got some power to it that's my favorite studio effort from Lifeson I think um, <laughs> I'm pulling it up here on the iTunes yeah man I, I, I really I, I but I, I just really enjoy that song in general Framptons do you feel like we do it's it's a live cut so it's kind of like between that and so the two live cuts that I had to include here are the do you feel like we do it's got the talk box and then it kind of, and by the way, this the song kind of ends. And then he's got this like twenty second like, like it's just insane. Like it is, it is definitely self indulgent, but it's just insanely good. It's crazy good. Uh, that and then Little Wing Live, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, See, yeah. it's a, it's a it's a Hendrix song, but it, Stevie Ray does Little Wing better than than Hendrix ever did. Um, just. It, ridiculous. Um, th- there's particularly one live recording that occasionally be, be played on classic rock radio. If you if you heard it, you'd know it. Yep. Um, no, I know. What you're trying to... It's ahead. funny. Little Wing is one of those songs where it it sounds like it could be so goofy, but it's it, in the right hands, done well. It is it's transcendent. And and I remember that Sting did a version of it, and it just and he you know tried to have Branford Marsalis playing on it, and it just sounded like all of Sting's late '80s stuff, which really? was. Marsalis, by the way, an incredible sax yeah. player, but it was well. He's you know it, it sounded like all of Sting's late '80s stuff, which was kind of like really watered down white boy jazz, you know, kind of paint by numbers stuff. So that's another thing where you think that it's good at the time, and then once you get a little bit more exposure, you're like, eh, okay, maybe not so great. The other, so if we're gonna talk Hendrix, I would say machine like Hendrix is so tough to kind of nail it down like the watchtower one's really well known obviously. oh yeah the watchtower one yeah that's that's, that... that's really well known but i wouldn't even put it among my my five favorite. i would say his machine Jimi hendrix machine gun which he played with band of gypsies right uh, if you basically want to feel like you can power lift 500 pounds and write the novella to the human existence almost listen to that <laughs> i'm totally overstating it, but it's that good yeah, I feel like it doesn't get mentioned enough. I, I was I was searching. I was like, I gotta include a Hendrix thing here because if I, you know, to me if he's the best guitarist ever, I've got to pick something. Um, the Watchtower one's what he's most known for, mostly, but Machine Gun is is my pick. So my final two are uh, Sultan's a Swing, outro. Oh yeah, that's that's a great one. Dire Straits self-titled. Um, it's one that I've actually always. I want to learn it. I've never sat down. It's one of those things where I need to basically dedicate a weekend, which yeah. is, yeah. and if not even longer, just to, to get it down. Again, again, that's Mark Knopfler, Dire Straits. And then my favorite studio guitar solo of all time, 
it barely beats out Dogs, which off of Animals, Pink Floyd, but the solo in time, Pink Floyd, David Gilmore, is my favorite studio yeah. guitar solo. I like that. I like, I like when when Gilmore just cuts loose. I really enjoy that stuff. I mean, the, the atmosphere. Did you hear, have you, have you heard of their, their new one? You know, the one that came out last year? No, at the almost, River? Yeah, it's almost all instrumental. Yeah, yeah. No, actually, I liked it way more than I thought I would like it. Yeah, same here. I, I didn't think it would be anything what it uh, ended up being in terms of just it's I've li- listened to it probably six or seven times since since I got it and yeah you know it's, David Gilmore's voice is one of those things that just transports you back you know it's 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 the same and that his voice has that kind of ethereal quality to it as well and so between that and the guitar yeah it's 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 like it's like we said about uh, Jack White you know it's not on the same quite same level but you hear a Pink Floyd song now and you're like yeah that that sounds like the way that it used to back yeah. in the old days and it's because Gilmore. You know, I, I mentioned how Robin Trower is known for his vibe sound. Gilmore, his reverb sounds from guitar player. Like, there are certain guitarists and what they do, the tones they get out of their guitars, whether it's, you know, a certain overdrive tone. With with Gilmore, people try and replicate this just intimate yet powerful reverb kind of tone that that truly is all his own. So. Dude, this was an hour and a half. I think we can. I, I, I think we can wrap it up. I, <laughs> we I, probably should bail. <laughs> we we went so long. Jay Busby, you can follow him on Twitter at Jay Busby. I have that correct, right? You do, yeah. J a y b u s b e e. And right. tremendous. Listen, this was an absolute blast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, by the way, at Records and Riffs. And if you are just coming to this one, you'll see there are plenty of other episodes that you can delve into. Band specific, random one-off tangents like this one that we've got here. So I appreciate it. Jay, you were so good oh, thank uh, you, for, the, for the next, you know, massive batch uh, some months down the road. We'll definitely, uh, we'll, we'll brainstorm and get you back on and have you do this again. So yeah, yeah. So much we, for, should, we should do an all Van Halen one. Just dive deep into, into every single Van Halen album. I'm, I'm so down and I'm sure the, the guitar fanboys that listen to this would be more than willing to. Uh, to <laughs> That'd be fun. All right, Jay, Mike, thank you so much, man. Sure thing. <laughs>